Welcome home, and thank you for joining us here on the Real Life Church Podcast. We are people of faith with the voice of hope who are known by love. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen. Good to be with y'all this morning. I've been sick for about a month now, so we're going to see what my voice is going to do. I got no energy and I can't half breathe. But how many know in my weakness, he is strong. It's when you can look to him when you don't know what to do that you'll begin to see faces of God come and do things that you didn't know he could do. They sang the song this morning, Your Presence. In the word Hebrew, there is no word presence. It's face. It's when we can draw close and look into his eyes. I don't know about you, but the woman caught in the act of adultery never got a word from Jesus. She got a look. So as we begin to know who the Father is, and it begins to be easier to come closer to him, we take a risk. It would get caught in his gaze. When these kind of things start to happen, something happens on the inside of you, and everything that's tried to chase you and harm you and break you all of a sudden starts to fall down. Because when perfect light comes in, it drives the darkness out. One of the things I found out about darkness is it's actually nothing. It has no wavelength. It has no form. It's actually nothing. So when the smallest degree of light comes in, all of a sudden there's a pull starts happening. It doesn't just come in and drive the darkness out. It obliterates it. Our problem is we go by feelings and what we think instead of what he said, and we end up, we stay caught up inside this place where we can't get loose. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the redeemed heir. You know him as the prodigal son. You know him from the position that I know him from. Some people didn't believe in God. I believed in him just fine, but at one time I stood and watched him take my little girl and put her down in a hole in the ground. It was the only time in my life I'd ever really looked for him. And I said to myself, if this is perfect love, I don't want it. And I'll make you a promise. I'll cuss you everywhere I go. And I held true to my word. I had the two Jesus rule. First time you said it, I attack you with my mouth. And the second time you said it, I'll punch you in your head. There's there's levels of hate that we don't even know about. And I thought I could come close and trust. I've never had a problem believing in God. The problem I had was believing that he could believe in me. It's It's at that merger of what seems like it could be and what seems like it never could be that we get caught in that tension right there. It's like a paradigm. You don't know what to do. and I can tell you what to do. Just lean back. Lean into him. Trust. Faith. And see what God can do. He can, he can do more than you can ask or imagine. Far above what you can ask or imagine. And I've seen him do it over and over and over again. And not because I'm perfect. Everybody laugh. I can mess it up today just like I 
still back in today. You want to pull that first slide for me? We're going to talk in Luke 15 this morning. Verse 11. And Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons, and the younger son came to the father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Inside of this culture, he dishonored his father. Inside of this culture, dishonoring your parents was something that you just didn't do. Inside of this culture, the son, when he became 13 at Bar Mitzvah, the next day his dad would take him to the town square and he would make this proclamation. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And when you transact business with him, you transact business with me. And when you transact business with me, you transact business with him. In other words, the two become one. What one says is good, the other one goes along with it. I've learned that even if they disagreed, that they wouldn't come against each other. That would be a private conversation. It's when we can be able to make these jumps. I want to ask you this question, and I've been, I've been pondering this thing for years, is why did he do this? Knowing what could happen, why would he risk himself in this place? What would make him do that? And the conclusion I came to is, he didn't know who he was. And the identity that he had put on. In the Bible, if you'll watch, the, the clothing that people wear identifies them as who they are. Blind Bartimaeus was blind, and the robe that he had on was his license to beg. It was made in a certain color and a certain style. And when the Romans would come by and see him begging, they would know that he had his permit. It's when we begin to put on our identity that's not really who he says we are that we run into the problem. And the son goes and does the same thing that many of us have done. When you're really disappointed with the place that you're in, we never look to ourselves. We always look around, and don't feel bad about yourself because we got it from Adam. It was that woman you sent me. When I first got saved, I started looking at this, paying really close attention to it, and it wasn't every now and then. It was every time that something would come up, I'd point a finger at something else. And as God began to work with me, he started saying, it's not that. It's you. Quit pointing the finger at it. All it's doing is revealing what's on the inside of you. And I think the son came to a place where he wasn't happy with where he's at. He wasn't happy with the way that his father was treating him. And all of these things made him say, I want you to give me my inheritance. Let me break that down for you. In that culture, he was telling him, I wish you were dead. See, we tell our father all the time. Lord, I don't want to walk that way. I want to walk this way. When there's an inheritance laid up for us that we don't know about, 
because if you did, I promise you, everything would begin to change. They thought that a change of location would fix everything. We're going to take a look at what the effects of this choice could bring into his life. Pull that next slide, Leviticus. Leviticus 29. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He cursed his, as he, he has cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. You see, we can pick and choose which part of the law we see that we may be able to follow, and we blind everything else. He cursed his father, and I can promise you that all of us are guilty of breaking the law in one way or another. Pull that next slide. Leviticus 19, 19. You must obey all my decrees. Do not make two different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven from two different kinds of thread. I'm pretty much so that disqualifies everybody sitting inside this room. If you got underwear on, got a lasket in it, you're out. <laughs> the danger of approaching the kingdom through religion rather than relationship is religion's message is one thing. Do more, try harder. Hate it worse, avoid it more, don't look at it. It tells you don't, 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 don't. Religion's message is, relationship's message is, come closer and rest in what God has done. The latter one actually produces a lasting change by transforming our mind through our faith and our trust in that the plan of God is a more excellent way than what we got going on. Over and over again, when I don't know what to do and I begin to seek him and I shut everything else off and start to pull inside of him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? When he begins to talk to me, it's so foreign to what I know. It goes so far past what my plan is that immediately I try to pull it down and say, uh-uh, Satan. When I've learned it, just a, a good long look in the mirror will reveal the real problem. It will reveal the real problem. And it's not the person. God loves you with a perfect love. It's not the person looking at him. It's what's inside of this little monkey nut box up there. This thing will lie to you and deceive you and break you down and tell you what you're not and ride you like a rented circus pony over and over and over again until you don't not like yourself, you hate yourself. When that happens, Satan's in, he's in command. Bring up Luke. Shortly afterward, the young son packed up all of his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. See, when he leaves, he's smiling. He got a little, he's got a little skip in his step. Anybody walked down that road? I know I did. When he arrives where he's going to, the problem is that his true self, unfettered by the authority of the Father, starts to rise up. I spent 35 years in addiction. And when I made my journey, I 
thought I loved myself, but I really found out that I hated myself. So I started going south. I went all the way to, Key, to the Keys of Florida, as far as you could go, and there was one little problem. When I got there, I was the same Mark that left Greenwood. The problem was I didn't have a mother and father looking over me at this point saying, don't do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to produce something that you don't want it to produce. And it produced in my life to where I had learned that if I, take, if I would take shopping bags and tear them apart and put them in the trash can behind a restaurant, when they dumped the food out, they wouldn't dump it in the trash. And if you'd asked me while I was eating out of the trash, trash can, was all right, I told you, yeah, I'm good. See, in my mind, it was the thin bag that kept what's good and what's bad. When really I was standing in a place that had nothing to do with who I was. I was being robbed, not by Satan, but by Mark. We get caught and we get hung there and we can't get away from it. The thing that happens when he gets there is sin starts to do what it does. It costs more than we're willing to play until there's nothing of worth left. It's here we find ourselves dressed in sackcloth and covered in ashes. Everything that you valued inside of yourself is burned to the ground. Then the next part of walking away starts to take place and you begin to hate your own self. Inside the church, we done been trained to smile and say everything's okay. James 5.16 tells us to confess our faults one to another, that we may be healed, that the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And when I first came around, it kept saying, don't speak that over yourself. When I began to mature and grow up, I learned that being able to speak those things out to a close confidant friend inside of the kingdom is the way that he begins to heal you. Because you need to hear how crazy the darkness on the inside of you is by speaking it out. That's my way I counsel with people. Here you go, talk. Tell me what's going on. And I don't input it at all. I don't talk back to you at all. And the next time we sit down, tell me what's going on. And there's something that happens after you hear your own self talk about what's going on. All of a sudden, the light comes on. This is not normal. I spent years working in recovery ministry, and I counseled with a bunch of women that came out of abusive families. And to them, that's how family was. But through that talking over and over again, all of a sudden I would see a light bulb come on on the inside of them. And something would say, this is not normal. And it's through that revelation. See, it wasn't anything I ever spoke to them. It was something that as they continued to speak about it, all of a sudden love came on the inside. That little wave of light started to come into the darkness. And all of a sudden it broke what held them bound. This isn't normal. And they would ask the same question over and over. Teach me what it looks like. Teach me what normal is. Then we can begin to establish the identity of Christ on the inside of them. See, when you go into these things, it's actually fun for a little while. You think you're having a good time. Then the money ran out. 
We'll pull up that next slide for me. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry for there was a severe famine in the land. He think that was by accident? So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. And the farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. And the son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. See, he found himself saying, I'm smart because I put this bag down. See, I, when I talk about it now, I can see how much I betrayed my own self. The one I thought I loved perfectly, I betrayed him. And all of the pride and the dignity and all of those things, they went away because hunger will make you do things that you usually wouldn't do. When we get caught in a place to where we don't know what to do and the fruit of it begins to crush us and break us down, prepares us to see the face of God. Because until you come to where you can let go of what you're going to do and lean into what he's going to do, you're really going to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. I travel around and preach for a good while, and the thing that will break my heart is I will go back to a church the next year, and after two or three years, I could go back and I tell the pastor, I said, did they change? He would say, I don't know. I said, let's find out. When people would come for prayer, I could tell him what they were going to ask for. It, it broke something inside of me because what was supposed to be able to set the captives free wasn't set the captives free. And I started asking myself, what's wrong with this thing? And I learned that the religions, the law will begin to tell you over and over what you're not. But see, there's no mercy and grace in it, so it'll never begin to identify what you are. So you stay in that place, and you get caught in that cycle of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And we know what that means. We're insane. I'm still a little bit crazy. I don't always get it right. I mess it up more than I do. With sin being fully grown, it robbed him of all that he had hoped to gain. And his being out of position robbed him of his identity. He finds himself begging for a position that separated from the very core of who he was. He was a Jew. Not only could he not eat a pig, he couldn't touch it. He found himself feeding something that couldn't feed him back. He even went lower than that, and he was eating something unclean that was being offered to something that was unclean. And what do you think that did to the inside of him? His, his testimony became, I am unclean. How do you escape from that? The son is driven by pride and consumed by an identity that isn't him. He tries to find and sustain himself by feeding something that can never feed, feed him back. Go to the next slide. This is Matthew 15, 10. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, Come and listen and open your heart to understand what truly contaminates a person is not what he puts in his mouth, 
but what comes out of his mouth. That's what makes people defiled. We ourselves, I don't know about you, I'm going to talk about me. We focus so hard on not looking or listening to or even what we watch, and we end up focused on being identified by the things around us. We forget that the Spirit of the living God working on the inside of you. It's, it's not an external thing. It's an inside job. He's not trying to fix your actions. He's trying to fix what's causing them. He's trying to come in and flip the little monkey nut box, that little reasoning thing on the inside of us, upside down. When I dealt with people in the ditch and they always asked me a question and I couldn't answer the question, it made me crazy. If God created me, why don't I know Him? So what I learned to do is when I get to a place where I don't know what's going on with God, I ask Him. He tells us we don't have it because we didn't ask Him. So I start asking Him. Years go by. One day I'm driving down the road and He starts talking. He said, in the garden, I hid evil. But Adam sought it out. When it came inside of him, there was identity released on the inside of him, and he was tricked into thinking that Satan had the authority. Satan couldn't speak to anything and make it do what it's supposed to do. So Adam ends up in a place to where he begins to believe something about himself that wasn't true. Made this guy go eat out of the pig slop. I said, but Lord, what? He said, Satan took the garden. I hid evil. And he flipped it upside down and he hid God. And it's when we begin to seek after him with our whole heart that he's waiting on you. He's not trying to hold it back. Not, God's not going to give you an eyedropper fool. He's more in the tidal wave business. He don't want to just clean you up. He wants to wash everything away. I don't know about you, but when he came and hit me, it was, I was flipping upside down, rolling over. I got tickled. I was watching the deadliest catch not long ago, and this wave on this big crab boat came over, and it was higher than the deck. And this dude got up, and he looked at this other guy. He said, I was swimming. I said, yeah, man, I know what that's like. I thought to myself, I'm glad I'm not a crab fisherman. So <laughs> we'll avoid what's going on in our lives because we're afraid we're going to get wet. God's trying to come inside of you so he can heal you. But there's something standing in the way. See, the kingdom's upside down. So every time you think, Oh, yeah, I understand that. That's the most dangerous thing inside of, of the church right now. The way you come to a place, the way you let the doctrine of men settle inside of you, that I got a hold of this. I promise you, you ain't got a hold of it. He works in what eyes not seen, what ears not heard. And he's always going to be revealing revelation. He's always going to be. That's why you can take the Bible and read through it one time and then come back to the same spot later and it'll talk to you in a different way because we're not just reading a book, we're worshiping a person. The book's about somebody. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. It's about somebody. 
It's just a guide. What you're actually are looking for is a relationship where you feel confident enough in yourself when something goes wrong, you can run to Abba. You can run, jump up in his lap and say, Daddy, I'm home. And all these things, I don't even know what to do. He's saying, just sit right here. Just sit right here. He told me for years and years to lean back. I didn't know what it meant. I'm sitting at a Hebrew scholar's house one night, and we're talking about the Song of Solomon. It's the most dear book in the Bible to me. That thing is, if you, if you know what you're looking at, it, it'll make you jump up in the air all the time. And I kept saying, I, I keep having this dream where he says, lean back. And I'm leaning back as far as I can. I don't know what to do. Well, this man Skype's in, and he's over the rabbinical institute. He's a Jew in Jerusalem. And they start talking in Hebrew. And he said, Pastor Mark's here. And they start talking in Hebrew again. What they're talking about is, he's saying lean back. But he don't know what it means. So they start laughing then. I didn't get a little bit mad. I got really mad. Because I, I was 100% sure they were talking about me. All of a sudden, a guy speaking in Hebrew starts speaking in English. He said, you don't know what it means. I said, no, so would you please tell me? He said, he's not trying to tell you to lean back. He's trying to tell you to lay down. And when he said it, I heard the Holy Ghost speak as clear as I ever heard. And the Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you. And when I spoke it out, the Spirit fell. And it, 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 it arrested me because it didn't just fall in the room I was standing in. All the way across the room. All the way across the ocean. In a man's heart that didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It hit him too. I learned that when I lay down. When I begin to rest in him. That he'll actually come and cover me over. And I'm telling you. If you're wrapped in glory. And you're wrapped in mercy. And you're wrapped in grace. What can take anything from you? This is the place we got to come to where we can abide in. This is where we have to remain. If we don't, we'll be eating some slop all the time. So I'm always be telling you, you're not qualified. Go beg for a job that you're not supposed to be in. Bow down and worship your brokenness. I mean, if that's God, I don't want none. Bring me up to 17, sir. Humiliated. Humiliated. The son finally realized that he was doing and he thought there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. He's thinking about home. Why am I here dying of hunger and feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house. I say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. It'll never, I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. Humiliated. Definition. To make someone feel the same and foolish by injuring their dignity and their self-respect. See, Satan's trying to steal who you were. So he wasn't humiliated by 
the place that he was at, he was humiliated by what he had become. He came to a place where he didn't even believe his own witness about itself. It's dangerous, I'm telling you. Then he realizes what he's doing, and for the first time in a long time, he thought. Some of the versions say he came to himself. See, one, one of these things, he's saying the same thing. One of them opened his mind, and he began to think. And the other one remembered who he was. Because he knew where he was at and what he was doing wasn't who he was. This is what God is working on inside of each and every one of us sitting in this room and listening online. God uses misery to awaken our mind. It's not his judgment, but the fruit of our choices that brings us to the end of ourselves. What a plan of perfect love. See, this perfect love is not just coming from somebody. It's who he is. The verse says God is love. It's not describing an action. It's describing a position. When you see compassion come out of you, you can rest assured that it's not you. It's Him. I've always been a violent person when I was growing up, and when I see compassion coming out of me, it's, it's like I'm standing over there watching. And it amazes me every time, but I've watched Him grow that inside of me. I've been working in leadership off and on for two decades now, and over and over again, somebody will mess something up or hurt somebody else, and I'll go sit down and talk to them. And not only me, but the ones that are sitting inside the room know I'm about to cut his head off. Every time as a boy starts to speak out of me, it's got nothing to do with who I am. Every time mercy comes out. Have you ever had mercy flowing out of you, out your mouth? And everything on the inside is offended because he won't let you cut. I mean, I've walked out of those meetings going, Lord, if we don't rub his nose in it, he's never going to catch on to it. I forget that his kingdom doesn't work like that. He begins to think about the safety of his father and about going back home. See, something happens right here. He starts to remember the good times. All of a sudden, Daddy's not a tyrant. All of a sudden, he's come to a place to where I'm the one messing this junk up. I'm the one that don't know what to do. If I can get back to my Daddy's house. See, that's what happens is we get caught in a spot and we get caught in that spiral and that little voice inside of us, it's darkness, begins to talk. And it, and it sounds like it makes such good sense that you want to embrace it, but it's really upside down. You have to begin to look at things. When they make perfect good, perfectly good sense, they need to be questioned. When you get something on the inside, you're like, I don't know about that. He said, you have not? Because you asked not. So I start asking him over and over again. This is what happens with him. He begins to formulate a way out. His conclusion is he'll announce his wrong and beg this time not for a job feeding pigs, but a plan to appease a father that could only be disappointed and angry. This is what keeps us away from God. We don't know him. 
It keeps us away from him because deep down on the inside, there's this little voice that speaks inside of all of us. I don't care how long you've been following him or how good you know him. It'll say he can't be that good. And there's certain situations that it's hard to deny that little voice. But as soon as you start to walk down that path, if you've been face-to-face, if you've been spending that time and listening, you know that something's wrong. In Song of Solomon, it, she begins to question him, where do you feed your flocks? And he starts to tell her, go back to where you saw me feeding them last time. And out of that story, I learned that when I'm messed up and I don't know what to do, I, I, I go in search of my peace. I go in search of the rest. And I think back in my mind to the last place that I saw it. And I try to find my way back to that place. Because I know what's waiting on me. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. You see, the thought of that, of that his father still loves him is lost. And the shame and the fear and the feeling of being misidentified. The shame will always and only set you in a place of less than the seat that God prepared for you. Filled with fear and regret, he starts to long and embarrass and walk home. Walking along, head hung low in defeat, wondering if they'll ever if they'll stone him as the lost prescribed. He begins to do one of the most destructive things anyone can do. He allows the beggar's clothes he wears on the outside to become the identity of what's on the inside. See, as you think, there you are. As he walks, he begins to rehearse this identity that is the complete opposite of the one given him in the beginning. And religion keeps saying, don't do that. You mess that up. You fail. You're miserable. And I got great respect for the church. See, it breaks my heart because I know what it ought to look like. And I know that's a misunderstanding. It doesn't make it look like that. Give me 20. Luke 15, 20. So the young son set off from home and, check this out, from a long distance away his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for the son who's returning. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms and hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. He runs to the son. See, the father I know didn't just one day get up and look down the road and there was his son and he took off running. The one I know had been standing on the porch the whole time he'd been gone saying, is this the day that my lost son comes back? Is this the day? Lord, please let him come today. He's in a place because he doesn't know who he is. See, it's something about that relationship with a father, especially in the Jewish community, because y'all were hooked together. If daddy did bad business, you did too. If you did bad business, the father shared in it too. He was caught right there. When the father runs out, 
He risks being shunned by the community because his son has disowned him, and by the law, he's supposed to throw rocks at this jack leg till he's dead. Every day he stands on the porch. Is this a day? See, is this a day? It's not that God's bad. It's that we don't know who he is. We can't really see him for who he was. See, there was something waiting for him, and it was far beyond anything he could ask or imagine, something that goes against what our unredeemed mind can even comprehend. From a long distance, the father sees and recognizes through the false identity of the beggar's clothes. Perfect love sees past the shame and guilt, the crushing combination, the sheer hopelessness that has consumed his highly prized son. Go to 21. I want you to see this picture. Miserable and broken is standing here and the very thing that he portrayed is kissing him over and over again. And the only thing on his mind is, let me tell you all of the things I did to betray you. Let me tell you what I did wrong. If you'll quit kissing me for just a minute, I'll give you a false identity. I'll try to tell you of something that's got nothing to do with who I am. I'll try to tell you what I put on that holds me bound so tight that it's like my own skin and I don't know how to get away. See, he is we. We always trying to tell the God of perfect love how sorry we are that we failed him. It never enters our mind that he's trying to kiss the excuse from my lips. To reveal the truth that trumps everything. And I believe to the church in America, this is what he's saying. Beloved, my beloved, you home. Quit trying to tell me about the past. Quit trying to tell me about what you've done. My beloved, you home. You didn't just come here. You were bought with a price above all prices. I didn't just pick you out. You didn't just willy-nilly walk up into this thing one day. You were bought with a price that goes far past what I can ask or imagine. You are home. Why do you keep trying to tell me what you're not? Why can't you come and sit down in the house and then be what I called you to be? My beloved. If he'll let you, he's trying to identify you without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. But we look at what we've done. We caught up so much in what we do that we never learned to worship what he did. See, our monkey nut box is still upside down. In order to love God, you got to first love yourself. But if every time you mess up, you start saying, I'm worthless. What I'm learning is that if I quit looking at that part and I start looking at that part, when I start saying, Lord, I know that ain't you, run out and kiss me again. Lord, I know that's not you. Hold me a little bit tighter, God. I know it's not you. Let me lean back a little bit farther. I know it's not you, God. Arrest that thought. Don't just arrest it. Take the captivity. It holds me captive, God. Set me free. 
See, this is what was fought on Calvary. That the, that the reproach was actually rolled off of Jesus' name, off of God's name. We all good with Jesus because he's nice. To me, this is a statement far beyond what I can comprehend. It touches the hidden places deep inside. It's the deep screams under deep. Perfect love melting away to false identity. It's a massive leap to begin to actually believe it. The truth is, so very far past what we can ask or imagine, that it requires us allowing the truth of love to strip away the identity of the beggar. The beggar's clothes have to be removed by the Father to prepare us for the Father's robe. Even though this is exactly what takes place, it's very hard to accept. And if you take a note, read Zechariah 3, you'll see how it happens. It's Joshua the high priest standing in front, being accused by Satan. And I want you to look. If you've ever stood in front of a judge, you know what you do. You stand there, you look pretty, you don't open your mouth. Reading that story, what happens? Joshua never does a thing. God comes in and removes the filthy garments off of him. He don't remove them. He sends the angels in heaven there. And he starts out with this thing, put a new turbine on his head. That turbine on his head is the way we think. God's telling us, it's the way you think, it's what holds you bound. Let go of every lie that tries to tell you you don't belong. That anything could separate you from my perfect love that casts out all fear. That will quieten the excuses of why we aren't good enough and trumpet the true power of the gospel. I have made you free. Now you must only receive it and believe it in your heart. This is the heart of Father God, and it will prove to you once and for all. Bring up John 5. This is Jesus before the Sanhedrin. This infuriated them and made them all the more eager to devise a plan to kill him. For not only did he break their Sabbath rules, but he also called God my Father. Look at this. Which made him equal to him. Song of Solomon. He calls us close. Come close my equal, my bride. So you, it's, it's hard, it's hard that when you hear that, it sounds like blasphemy. When he started talking to me about that, I kept throwing it down, stepping on it. Got to be the devil. Can't, ain't no way. But there's, this little, there's another little voice that kept talking that said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. Right? I couldn't take that one and throw it down because I didn't have a part in it. So I finally caught on that I might ought to look at what his part is instead of focusing on what my part is. And something started changing. Go to the next one. Jesus said, I speak to you a timeless truth. The Son is not able to do anything from himself or through my own initiative. I only do the work that I see the Father doing. For the Son does the same works as his Father. Next slide. Because the Father loves His Son so much, He always reveals to me 
everything that he's about to do. And you'll be amazed when he shows me even greater works than what you've seen so far. For just like the Father has power to raise the dead, the Son will raise the dead and give life to whomever he wants. I'm telling you, to the crowd he was talking about, they were calling people from miles and cities over. Bring rocks. We ain't going to just throw rocks at him. We're going to entomb him in them. Bring rocks. And I don't know about you, but inside of me, when I start to hear that kind of voice talk, the first thing I think is, we're going to need a lot of rocks. I was trying to stone the voice of God because it, I couldn't make him sound like what I wanted him to. And over and over again, I found myself standing beside a big pile of rocks. And every time I would draw back, those eyes. Every time I would draw back, he would make the statement, my beloved, you home. Listen to him. He's speaking over you today. My beloved, you home. And if you'll come close, face to face, inside of my presence. We sing about it all the time. But we're singing it like this. We down here, and he's way up there. So we're really safe. What was Jesus' message? And the kingdom of heaven is within you. How's the kingdom of heaven within you without the king sitting on the throne? If perfectly holy lives on the inside of you, why can't he make you look just like him? Because he's already saying... This is my son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Soon as you said, Lord, I need you to come into my life, he, he deemed you righteous. He clothed you in righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he who knew no sin became sin, so that we who did not know righteousness could become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God ain't a breastplate the Roman soldier wore, it's a robe. So good, man. It's so far from what we know. Though. Go to the next slide. I speak to you in eternal truth. If you embrace my message and believe in the one who sent me, you will never face condemnation. For in me, you have already passed from the realm of death into the realm of life. Then he teaches us. Pray our Father. I mean, inside of your heart, is there still a great expanse right here? I can answer the question from my own self, yes. There's still parts of me that think it's the way that I'm dressed and the way that I walk and the way that I talk that does all of these things. But it's not an action problem. It's a positional issue. And I would teach you about what sin is. I will say this. When sin entered into the garden, we've been caught that he can't look on sin. And the verse says he can't look on sin. But there's more to it. He can't look on sin favorably. So the first time sin comes, where do we find a God that's supposed to be angry and ready to stomp you on the ground? Where do we find him? He walks into the walk in the cool of the evening looking for his son. Like nothing ever happened. 
And he never says what you do. He says, where are you at? This ain't where I left you. This isn't who you are. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing. See, the story goes on. He, he asked he asked the next question. Who told you you were naked? Because he knew there had to be a voice to speak it out in order for it to be able to come into the earth. And something had told him that you ain't what you're supposed to be and you're not who you was. And all of a sudden, Adam didn't know the guy. He didn't know that side. That there was a side like that that could make him run and hide from the very thing that could set him free. And I can see Adam standing before him with his, with his forehead all furled up going, what in the world happened then? See, we think it's an accusation, but it's actually a, a revelation. He says these words, did you eat from the tree? See, our mind says, he said, did you eat from a tree, you bad boy? What's the matter with you? Did you eat from my tree? No. Uh-uh. God is love. What he's saying is, you're in a place right now that's foreign to you, and you don't know how to get there. You got there. Let me ask you this question. Did you eat from a tree? And instead of condemnation, it's revelation. We never see him hide from him again. And the very thing that he said made him hide. I was naked and afraid. So what does God do? He clothes him. And for the protection of mankind, he sends him out of the garden. Because if he eats from the tree in, the, in a fallen state, he can't be redeemed. So perfect love doesn't throw him out because he's mad. Perfect love throws him out because he has to in order to preserve the plan that was thrown up before the stars were ever thrown in the sky. That he was going to send his son to redeem us. He's going to make us whole what he's trying to do. See, it's all kind of things going on in this kid's mind. He don't know what to do. He dishonored his father. And the law says it's death by stoning. First thing God comes and does is, you want to pull that next slide? I think it's the next one. You're going to have to skip to, I believe. Bring me back into uh, Luke again. Oh. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me my best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I'll put it on his finger. Bring out my best shoes you can find for my son. What does it say? Bring my robe. So he's dressed as a beggar. And that's not who I raised him to be. Bring my robe. Because any robe he can fashion for his own self, or you can sew for him, it's not good enough. Bring him my robe. I need you to hear, my beloved, you're home. And in order for him to put one robe on him, he had to take another one off. He had to pull that identity away. 
And shame and guilt makes us run and hide over and over again. Instead of putting your arms up in the air and saying, Lord, pull off what's not supposed to be here. Tear it off, God. It's only produced misery. I hate myself and everything standing around me. And I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to do. He's saying, just raise your hands. Let me pull it away. Let me put my best robe on you. This is the gospel. They paid the price. Now we can actually rest in that and stand and worship Him for what He's done. Not caught in shame or guilt. Be able to pray, Our Father, my daddy, my papa. I'm telling you, if you can grab this, it'll change everything. What it really changes is the fruit of your mouth. So that the seeds that you start to plant as you walk around, who told you you were naked? When we stand in front of the world all the time and we're afraid to say anything because we may be misconstrued or it may not sound exactly right. And I talk to the world like us. I need them to hear me. When Jesus kept speaking to the Pharisees and saying, you shall not, He's always speaking to Pharisees. So He'll talk to you in their language you can understand. So when I go to the world, I don't try to put on this robe of my righteousness. I don't try to elevate myself. I don't try to show them all of these mighty things that I can do. Because it's in my weakness that He's strong. It's in me being who I was created to be. The Son. Not the prodigal. The redeemed. That mindset keeps making you the prodigal son. Because all of a sudden, all these things that you've done, done wrong, that's just an unrenewed mind. How many people have asked God to do something in your life and you keep finding yourself there over and over again? Raise your hand. All three of you. Let me tell you what's going on. In seed time and harvest time shall not pass. Lord, I don't want to be like this anymore. So I bring you this seed and I lay it at your feet knowing that you're going to make it acceptable and holy and work it for me. And then when we turn around to walk off and we mess up again, we immediately accept the fact that it didn't work. Something's wrong with it. And it's a seed. It's not that your request or your heart was insincere. It's that the seed's immature. And there's two things that can happen right here. We can begin to remember that we planted a seed right there and He doesn't let His Word return void and begin to exalt that and worship that and linger on that and dance around the room on that. Or, we can go back and beg. It didn't work, Lord. 
I believe you can do all things except for that. This is what's happening right there. We clothed in the clothes of a robber, of a beggar, and we refused to let him take them off. Because we're trying to take a test that we were never meant to take. If you could do it, he wasted his son. If you could accomplish this out of your own power, he spent Jesus for nothing. Jesus paid a price so that the Spirit could live on the inside of you. And we get caught up so much in everything that we're doing and the chatter of the world, we don't hear His voice. I've learned that the, the voice of God is just one whisper below whatever the loudest thing going on in your life is. So in order to hear Him, you have to look away from it. We see it through the book over and over again. In one minute, Peter's standing on the water. And all of a sudden, he looked around at the situation and he was under the water. That's how that works. And when it looks like you're going to sink, if you just look at him, that's all Peter did was look back at Jesus. Then he'll come and rescue that. He's trying to break off every flaw and blemish that you're so fascinated with and reveal what's really on the inside of you. There's an I am living inside of you. There's an I am that can walk into somebody that don't know which way to go and take them by the hand and say, I've been in that path. I know this place. Come on and walk with me. We might trip and fall every now and then, but don't worry about that because where I'm carrying you to is so far beyond what you've ever seen before. And He gave everything in order for us to be able to take somebody by the hand. Always get tickled, man. He never lets me get to where I'm going. But I think we didn't come far enough. My beloved. Home. Let this not be words. Holy Ghost, I call you into this place right here. The spirit that blows on every broken spot, Lord. The reed that's bent over stands him up straight. The wick that's smoldering, Father, begins to blow on it and make fire come back out of it, Lord. What looked like it's gone, not really gone. Father, I just ask you today, Lord, awaken our minds, Father, so that you can awaken our heart, Lord. Lord, you want to come get us a whole lot worse than we want to leave. You want to come and get us, Father, a whole lot worse than we leave, Lord. Spirit, show us that you're standing on the porch right now, looking out across the place, going, is this the day they return? I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about the ones that know Him. He's calling you home. He has a robe for you. He has a ring for you. He has shoes for you. He's calling you so He can take off that identity that you're not and actually put on His righteousness so that your mind can begin to be transformed 
that maybe, just maybe on the outside chance that I am exactly what He created me to be. We're not at the end of that road, but we're walking back toward it. Don't let the fact that the seed hadn't grown up make you stand in a place lesser than what you were designed to stand in. Holy Spirit imprint on our heart the words of a loving Father bought and paid for by the willingness of a Son that you could live on the inside of us. My beloved, in whom I'm well pleased, you are home. Just come close. Look and see what I got for you. Just come close and let me wipe away the stains and all the things that you think bind you. Just come close and try to give me the excuse and I'll kiss you with the kisses of my lips because they're sweeter than wine. And I'll kiss you over and over and over and no matter how many times it seems like you fall, I still got a kiss for you. I don't want to just look in your face. I want to stand mouth to mouth, Lord. He started us all out in the place where He kissed Adam. He's calling us home. Lord, let this thing penetrate us, God. Please let it penetrate us, Lord. Let it awaken something new inside of us, God. There's a world out there, Lord. They don't know what to do, Father. You're talking about an upside-down place, God. We don't even know how to walk in and it's jacked up so bad. Make that seed jump inside of us, God. That we know, Father, that it's Christ on the inside of us. That is the hope of glory for the ones that have no hope, God. Awaken that thing, Father. Lord, we love you, Lord. We thank you for the, for the distance that you brought us, God. We thank you, Father, that you never let go of us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You always walk with us, God. Even when we stumble, Lord, you're like a father standing beside a little kid that fell down and just waiting to pick him up and wipe his knee off, Lord. Lord, I ask that you shift our focus off of the things that we've done, Lord. Lord, I plant the seed of a magnified worship inside of your people, God that we begin to exalt your name, God. And I know, Lord, it said that where you be high and lifted up, that you'll draw all men, God. How can we lose? The only way you can lose is to remain standing beside the big pen. As soon as you say, I need to go to my daddy's house, he comes running. That's the one I want you to see. That's the one that will set you free. It's the kindness, the goodness of God that draws your heart to repentance. No heightening bolts. If you mess up, guess what? If you continue to mess up, it's going to produce fruit in your life. That's what this kid found. It wasn't that he wasn't loved. It was that he chose the wrong path and the seed produced after its own kind. Well, if goodness... And mercy lives on the inside of you. Let the seed produce what it's supposed to produce. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And I call these things done in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank y'all for joining us. Um, I wish I had a voice. I told them a while ago that I don't know what's going to happen, but I know every time before that I stood in front of people to represent him, he's always came. I've had issues. I've had some severe accidents. and it, I went to a place one time I couldn't pick my foot up off the ground. I'm dragging my foot. And every time I pull it forward, it's like somebody stabbing me with a hot knife in the back. And this pastor keeps saying, I'll, I'll preach, man. I said, I'm all right, dude. He said, you ain't all right. I watched you walk into church, and you had tears running down your face. You ain't all right. But I knew when I walked up to the Father, that he comes running. I thank y'all. Y'all have a blessed week. For more information, to give, or if you need prayer for anything, visit us online at reallifeministries.org. Shalom. Shalom.